On this week's episode of the Glossy Podcast, I'm speaking with Olivia Landau, a gemologist and founder of the online diamond and jewelry brand, The Clear Cut. Uh, Olivia's worked at Tiffany, she's worked at The Real Real, and she founded The Clear Cut in 2018. I'm very excited to have Olivia on the podcast today. I wanted to talk to her about the state of the fine jewelry industry, how she's acquiring customers and growing a jewelry brand on TikTok and attracting Gen Z and all that fun stuff. Um, So we've got Olivia with us right now. Olivia, how are you? Hi, thanks so much for having me today. Thanks for being here. Um, I think we've been working on booking this episode for several months now, so I'm excited (laughs) that you're finally in the in the virtual glossy studio with us. Yes, I'm so excited. Cool. So I've got like a million questions for you, but um, let's just start with I, I gave a little intro already. The Clear Cut is a, a diamond jewelry engagement ring brand. You cover a lot of different things. Um, founded in 2018. Is there any other important you know frame up kind of details you want to give the listeners on on the brand? And like, what do you think of as like the the strongest identity? or the thing you kind of, how you pitch the brand to people? Yeah, so um, the Clear Cut is a direct-to-consumer diamond engagement ring and fine jewelry company. Um, It actually started as an educational diamond blog, and through social media and lots of um, people reaching out to create custom rings, it kind of serendipitously became uh, what it is today. So... I mean, my family has always been in the diamond business. I'm like a fourth generation jeweler. My dad's side of the family um, was in diamond cutting and dealing, and my parents had an antique jewelry company. Um, So I always was around and exposed to the industry, but I personally never thought I would get into it myself until I graduated college. Um, I was looking for something to do. I didn't really know what I was passionate about and want to extend schooling a bit. So I decided to roll in GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America uh, here in New York, and I became a graduate gemologist. And while I was there, I really fell in love with diamonds and gemstones. And I also met my now husband and co-founder while I was there, too. So that was really lucky. Um, Mm -hmm. But I wanted a career in jewelry. And after um, graduating from GIA, I started my career at Tiffany on the engagement floor. And that's where I really fell in love with bridal jewelry, engagement rings, diamonds specifically. And I then started, um, and then I transitioned and worked at a large uh, diamond wholesale company. At that same time, Kyle, who's my husband and co-founder, he had founded a fair trade diamond mine in Sierra Leone. And uh, he returned there after GIA until the Ebola epidemic, which was kind of a year later, brought him back to New York. Uh, He went to business school at Columbia and a lot of his friends were like, hey, do you know a guy that can help get me a good deal on a ring? Because they knew he had ties to the industry. And since I was working in wholesale, I became that go-to guy. So it was through working with um, his classmates, our friends on creating their custom rings. I realized that, you know, most people didn't know the first thing about buying a diamond. There was so much information out there, who to trust, what to know. So that's when I started the clear cut as a blog in 2016. And through that, I started posting some designs on Instagram. And that's where the audience became a lot broader. You know, strangers started following the account, asking if I could create their custom rings. And we quickly realized that there must be a white space in the market if strangers were trusting me with their life savings and such a big (laughs) thing, Um, all through Instagram DMs. So that's when in 2018, we decided to, you know, commit full time to making this happen. Yeah, you know what's interesting? I, I didn't even think about this when I was, you know, planning my questions to ask you. But I, I, 
feel like the blog to brand um, pipeline is is a real thing. I think um, isn't Hodinky the the watch thing? They they started. I mean, they're not a brand, but they started as a blog, and now they're an, a full fledged e commerce thing. I feel like that's a real um, transition that a, a lot of companies go through. What was that process like of going from editorial and and informational and and like a media business to um, a e commerce and and like online retail business? What well, did, did did that require a lot of changing and transitioning or, or did some of the infrastructure from ClearCut the blog translate to ClearCut the, the brand? I think that's a great question. Um, because we started as an educational platform, that's something that we've taken through our growth as a brand. So it was kind of like what happened first, like the chicken or the egg. I was working with clients making rings and that's how the educational blog was formed. And then that's how people kind of found out about us and start trusting us. And I think educational content is still at like the core of our business. We've just kind of transitioned platforms. So obviously in 2016, we were blog and there was a lot of companies that grew out of blogs like Glossier um, and others because it was brands that required a lot of education and a lot of information in order to make that purchase. Like for a diamond engagement ring, there's, you have to become an expert overnight in making such a huge investment in this one piece. So you want to be empowered with as much information and education as possible. And I think the difference was in like my dad's generation or in all of, you know, the, how you think of the diamond industry, it's really opaque and like cloaked in kind of like mystery or like sketchiness because people intentionally want to hold back information um, from the customer. And we decide to do the complete opposite. So then, you know, our blog transitioned to like Instagram posts and then Instagram stories and now videos and now TikTok videos. And there's always going to be, you know, that niche uh, person that's kind of in that stage that they want to get engaged and wants to be empowered with as much education and information to make that best decision for themselves. And I think that's why they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm 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 going to mention this several times throughout this episode, I'm sure, but I recently got engaged. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And it's I went through the whole process and it's really especially if you are not somebody who is buying jewelry and especially diamonds all the time. For a lot of people, engagement ring is maybe your first ever encounter with like buying a diamond. It was for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you go from knowing absolutely nothing about it. And then like a week later, you're like, is that VS1 or VS2? You know, you're suddenly you have all this knowledge. Um, And that's like kind of what it was like for me. So a lot of the brands that I was looking at and and the different retailers um, had educational stuff on it, whether they it was a big part or or a small part of their online presence. And, and even when I went to a physical jeweler, I feel like all the the retail associates are very comfortable with explaining concepts to people. The way that uh, Nordstrom or like, you know, in a, a regular apparel place, they don't need to explain a shirt to you. you. They can just sell you the shirt. Can you tell me any more about how the educational kind of element factors in do you have like an do you have an editorial team still for the site like writing blog posts and stuff or or is that does that fold into like marketing or something yeah so actually i have really decided to offload other things and still be in control of like the content and education so i still do all of the videos i record like all of the content all the posts that you see on all social channels like i'm still in control of and then we do have like a team that like will transcribe it into blog posts and like post it and all of that but i still um that's something that I want. It was so important for the brand in our community that I thought 
I'm like a little bit of a control freak and wanted um, to still be a part of that and have my pulse on what, you know, customers and followers were uh, interested in learning. Got it. I got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. That's kind of kept your voice like from the beginning of ClearCut, even, even now as you guys have grown. Um, Speaking of growth, I I just wanted to mention your, your team gave me a little bit of detail about this before the podcast, but I'd love to hear more. Um, You started in 2018. I I was told that 2022 was a really big year for you guys. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about the growth and, and maybe like what you found to be the biggest driver of that, like stuff you did, but also macro stuff too. Yeah, totally. So I would say, so we uh, launched in 2018 um, and we were really focused on, you know, specializing this bespoke diamond engagement process to a remote client. And from 2018 to 2019, uh, we got so much demand for additional products like wedding bands, anniversary gifts, follow-on purchases. So in January of 2019, we launched our ClearCut collection, which is our fastest um, growing part of our business now, which is wedding bands, necklaces, earrings, all other fine jewelry, all made in New York City. Um, so we have doubled um, in revenue every year since launch. Um, in 2019, going into 2020, we had so much momentum and we really wanted to build a proprietary software to elevate not only the customer experience for our remote clients, but also really scale the back end um, for our team. And we're managing so many different uh, pieces at one time and everything's made to order. Uh, But then, you know, we were growing really quickly and then COVID happened and we had to shut down manufacturing in New York. It was super scary, but we still had, you know, that ethos of creating this online jewelry experience and perfecting that. So we went forward with building the tech and um, to our surprise, you know, every all jewelry stores were closed for an entire year and it really served us well and we made the right decision that way. Um, so yeah, 2020 and 2021 were huge for engagement rings because uh, people, you know, had a lot of um, extra income. They weren't traveling. They weren't doing anything else. They were kind of stuck at home with their significant others and they wanted something to celebrate because everything was kind of doom and gloom at that time. So engagements uh, spiked like crazy. And then um, what we've seen for this year has been all of those COVID proposals have led to a huge spike in wedding band purchases because this was the year of the weddings. And um, I know I had like nine weddings to go to this summer and I think there were more weddings in U.S. history than like the past 30 years. So that's been what we've seen like on a macro level um, affecting our um, business. But yeah, the software we launched in 2020 and 2021 was called GEM. And it's a proprietary software that, you know, each of our clients is matched up with a gemologist and they can now log into their portal. We handpick each of the diamonds specifically for their preferences. They can give us feedback and work really collaboratively. And then we create a custom ring. And on the back end, we're managing like thousands of diamonds coming in and out of our possession at any given moment. And also the production flow with our manufacturers and vendors. And also speaking of growth and stuff that you've done, I mean, one thing I definitely want to ask you about is your the brand's TikTok presence, because you guys have a really big, successful TikTok account. Um, and are you're making a lot of those videos yourself? I or make them every day. <laughs> every single day? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me what the how, how that growth has gone like when did you launch the tiktok account and how it kind of took off yeah so we actually i think i made my first tiktok in 2019 like the end but i didn't really know what it was because 
I was like, it's a lot of dancing videos and a lot of kids. So if you look at our first TikToks, they're like so cringy because we were trying to like figure out our place. And then it was through COVID where I think a lot more people, I mean, I think when we first started our TikTok, there were only like eight-year-olds following us, but it was through COVID and being locked inside that I think the platform really grew and the audience really expanded. And that's where people were finding their niche. And I quickly realized that, oh, TikTok it's just like any other social media platform like Instagram or anything else. I don't have to be like dancing on here or doing anything crazy. I just need to create the content um, that I've always been kind of creating, just repurposing it for this new audience. And soon like we'll find our niche. And that's kind of what we did. Um, we're still like very diamond education forward, but with you know, a little bit of like TikTok flair. And I think, you know, it's a little bit more raw, a little bit more candid. Um, and it's, and I think the cycle of content flows way faster than other platforms, even faster than Instagram. So you kind of have to always be scrolling and posting and being like on like the newest thing. I feel like um, from what I've heard from different brands, uh, TikTok especially lends itself really well to kind of off the cuff, not super highly polished content. You know, you can just, like you said, you can make one every day and you can just, you know, be talking or something. And um, there's a, there's an audience for all sorts of content, as long as it's not that sort of Instagram-y, like super kind of this, this is an ad kind of content. Totally. So um, do, is that how you approach the the creation? Yes. And I think that's also how we've been approaching the creation of not only TikTok, but Instagram too. We have been shifting away from that, like perfect, like stage, like Photoshop photo with like rings, like, I don't know, just like in the air, like people want to see them how they're going to be worn, like in the wild, like how, you know, if I was to buy a ring, what it's going to look like. And that's definitely how we're approaching it. Very raw, very real and like relatable. So I'm still the face like on our TikTok. And I think that makes a big difference because when you're talking directly to the follower or the viewer, you build this personal connection. And that also builds like a bit of trust. And they kind of feel like they get to know not only myself, but the brand and like what we stand for. And speaking of selling on, you know, or marketing rings and jewelry and diamonds on TikTok, I mean, this gets to sort of one of the big things I wanted to ask you about, which is how the diamond shopping experience has changed over the years and particularly for young consumers, Gen Z. I, I want to, I don't want to like talk too much, but a very quick story. And then I want to get your thoughts on this. When I was buying this engagement ring recently um, for my now fiance, we went to the diamond district in New York together. Um, we looked at some rings together. I, I, ultimately ended up going back without her and buying one that was similar. But we went together to sort of see what she liked and for me to get a sense. And we went to all these very traditional um, Diamond District places and they were, a lot of them were really nice and the people were super helpful and everything. But some elements of it felt very old fashioned to me. There was several jewelers would be like, can we, can we discuss the price in front of the lady or something? Which is like, I, I get that some people don't want to do that, but it just felt very... I don't know. That felt very old timey to me. And then there's there's all sorts of these hip, young DTC online di diamond places, you know, the clear cut, but also like Brilliant Earth or Vry or all these other places that seem like the opposite. It's it's very online. It's very catered to young people. Um, but then obviously the Diamond District is still out there, is still doing it the way they've they've mm -hmm. always done it. What's your perspective on those sort of like the old way of of diamond selling and those traditional kind of places and then the newer crop of kind of like digitally native 
you know, places like yourselves. Totally. I would say, you know, it, it really speaks to when I like look at my parents and how they did business. My dad's like, you know, this business is a dying business. There's no future in it. And I don't think that's true at all. I think just the consumer is changing so quickly that the traditional way of selling or doing how it's been done for hundreds of years does not, um, it doesn't translate well to our generation or Gen Z um, because we grew up with the internet and we grew up with information, education at our fingertips and being like very well versed in any purchase we made, whether it's like socks or shampoo, like we read the reviews, we like know everything about it before we buy it. And we're also exposed to so much more than what's in a glass case in our local jewelry store, because we have social media, we have the internet. So I think our, our consumer, um, not only are couples shopping together 95% of the time in some capacity, whether they're doing the whole process together or, you know, one partner comes in armed with a PowerPoint presentation. Um, it's no longer like, you know, a complete surprise and you're going to like whatever you get, like no customers, um, and couples are shopping on, they're getting their information online. They see things that they want and they want to get exactly what they're looking for. They don't want to overpay for it and they want the best experience possible and they're not going to settle. And that's what I think, um, you know, this new crop of DTC or online jewelers really understand the customer. Like I was the customer when I started the clear cut. So I understood, you know, what, our um, followers and our clients would be looking for. And that's exactly that. Like no matter where you are in the U S or the world, you want to have the same sort of uh, experience and be able to get the diamond that you saw on Instagram and the ring that you want, and you're not going to settle for it. And we're basically democratizing a private jewelry experience that was, you know, only for like the super wealthy or celebrities before. And now like anyone can have this experience. We'll be right back after this short break. One thing that I liked about buying mine from a place in the Diamond District was I'm spending a lot of money on this ring. Like it's, you know, if I'm buying something from, you know, a fast fashion place or something, which I don't do just for the record, but you know <laughs> what I mean? If I were buying something like cheaper, it's kind of doesn't matter as much. I can look online, scroll through a few pages and just like pick something. But if I'm going to spend thousands of dollars on something, I want to go in and see it. Or I, or I want to like talk to somebody uh, directly and have some sort of, you know, knowledgeable person help me out with this. Um, and, and that's something you guys do, like you were saying with the, the gym, um, software, you know, connecting people. Like I said, a lot of people might be their first time making a purchase like this. And, and I'm sure there's some elements of wariness or, or a little bit of nervousness about making a purchase like that. So do you think that that's a, a big part of what you try to give to people is just like a Obviously, there's the educational component, but also the comfort of like, you've got someone here who knows what they're talking about. You're not going to like make a bad decision or something. 1000%. I feel like the engagement ring, even more so than any other type of jewelry, is something that you really want that, you know, person to lean on, to educate you, to feel like they're there for you every step of the way. It is a very big purchase and you kind of want that relationship with them. So our whole process is expert driven. You know, there's... Uh, we're there to find the best value, exactly what the client wants, create a one of a kind ring. And, you know, 90% of our customers do this all through our gem software, but we do have a showroom in New York that's by appointment only. And we have people that fly in all the time um, to come sit with us and like see things in person. So I think you, it is a higher touch purchase and it's more of like a B2B like time frame than any other sort of like 
online sale. Yeah. I mean, and also if you're shopping online, one one big difference I notice is just that if I were to go to the clear cut or, or to a different online jeweler, you could see dozens and dozens of diamonds and you know within a few minutes you can scroll through and see click next page or like show 48 or something you know and see tons of options whereas when i went to a jeweler if i wanted to see another one it'd be like oh okay hold on and then they have to go and like take out the little envelope and grab the tweezers and pull it out and everything and you i saw like numerically fewer rings or fewer diamonds at an actual jeweler um but I had somebody picking them and curating them. So there was there was that. But I definitely saw like way fewer options. I, I maybe looked at physically 10 diamonds altogether or something. So there there's trade-offs between both. And like you said, you have both. You have the showroom. If somebody really does want to come in and see it and they won't make a purchase until they do, they have that option. And, and even in our gem platform, like we did have the thought that, you know, with those online marketplaces where you can scroll through like hundreds of diamonds at a time, sometimes so many options can be overwhelming. So we also kind of take that more private jeweler experience where we handpick a selection specifically for what you're looking for. So we do the hard work. We look at each diamond in person, pre-scan them for quality. So by the time they gets to you, you know that, okay, these are all approved by us and you can trust like our expert eye on all of them. So you don't have to do that yeah. hard work. And also if you're looking online, I mean, the the diamonds are sometimes really hard to tell apart, even if you're looking at yeah. them, you know, close up. So just with a picture on the website, it can be, they can all look the same. Um, I also wanted to ask about um, pricing and and spending because uh, the, you know, the traditional thing, I forget exactly what it is. It's like three months salary yeah, three or months. something like that for, yeah, three months salary. Um, you know, there's a lot of thing. there's a lot of traditional things in, in different parts of fashion and jewelry, but just life in general, where I think, younger people are sort of just like, why would I do that? Or like, why do I need to stick to that, that kind of cliche? I, I, I don't even know why that was invented in the first place. You could spend six months salary or one month or less, or, you know, it's like just whatever works for you and your partner or whatever. Um, are you noticing with, with younger consumers, like, I don't know, I guess if you talk to them about their budgets and stuff, is that something they're thinking about? Is there still that feeling of I need to spend a certain amount because of tradition or something? Or is that all out the window and it's like whatever they whatever is fulfills the the needs they, they have? I think some people use that as like a guideline, but I really do think it's couple to couple and what is best for them and their finances. Like some people, like you mentioned, value the engagement ring a lot more than they would the wedding. So they're going to spend more than their three month salary. And some people, you know, want to buy a house. So they're only going to spend one month salary. So it really is dependent on what you decide as a couple. And a lot of people are making that decision together. Like I said, it's not like, in a heterosexual relationship, just the guy is going to decide that this is how much I'm going to spend. People are doing it together as a team because ultimately you're going to get married and you're going to be going through life together and you're going to have your finances tied together. So you should be discussing, you know, what you guys are comfortable with for the engagement ring before going into it. So there's less secrecy around that. Yeah. I mean, again, that was my perspective was we, my fiance and I share a lot of stuff. We talk, we have financial goals. It like feels very outdated for me to just not include her at all in the the budget kind of talk around that. Um, well, because back so, in the day, like women didn't work, so you didn't have any right. say. But now a lot of women are contributing to their rings if they want more than their fiance is willing yeah. to do. They do it together. Right. Or like you said, you've got plans. We want to buy a house. We want to have a wedding or we, we want to have a specific kind of wedding or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, has the uh, the sort of like 
maybe that's too early to say for you, but um, a lot of the people I'm talking to are saying that we're kind of in a little bit of an economic downturn. Consumer spending is lower. Um, is that affecting you or is it because it's like a little bit of a pricier category? People are just continuing to spend what they were? I don't know. Is that something that you're feeling in, in your sales? Yeah, we've definitely seen a shift from like earlier this year to the end of this year. And I think it's you know, we are in the engagement space, so people are going to continue to get engaged, get married. So bridal is still quite strong. What we have noticed is that our higher end budgets have had no effect, but it's our under $10,000 budgets that have been um, slowing down. Maybe people are waiting. Maybe people are trying to like save um, but it's been a lot more higher end. So it's very interesting, um, what's going on. Maybe, you know, higher end is like not as affected by, you know, the stock market or crypto, but we've seen things, um, definitely affect, uh, the under 10 K. So speaking of that, do your customers tend to be repeat buyers and is that affected by engage like whether they're engagement ring shoppers or other types of jewelry shoppers because when as when i bought my engagement ring again i was like i don't want to buy anything for the next six months like <laughs> i was like i'm definitely not going to like buy another diamond in the next year <laughs> probably um because i just spent a bunch of money on this one do you do you find that like when people buy an engagement ring they they kind of are gone for a while and maybe they'll come back in a few years or, or and does that change for other categories? Yeah, that's totally what happens. We have 44% return customer rate, which I think is very high. And it's because, yes, it's not like a purchase that you're making every single month by any means. But once you have the engagement ring, we really say it's kind of like the gateway drug to your fine jewelry purchasing. It's like after that, you know, before the wedding, you're going to need two bands and then, you know, anniversary gifts happen and then push presents or like birthday gifts. So we really want to be there for more of the like larger investment um, celebration kind of uh, moments for our customers. That's for our engagement and customers. But we have been noticing with our Gen Z clients or our younger clients, they're getting introduced to the brand a little bit younger, probably before that they want to get engaged. So we do have lower price point items like things that start at like $95 and go up like our gold hoops, our gold chains, things like that. And so we're seeing a lot of customers also who have bought, you know, smaller everyday pieces. It's a lot of self-purchasing women for themselves come back and they're like, oh, I've been following and buying for a couple of years, but now it's, I, it's finally time for my engagement ring and it, I'm here for that now. So we're, um, we're seeing both. We always like thought our customers would start engagement ring and then kind of have that, trajectory, but we're seeing people buying collection and then coming to engagement ring later when they're ready. I, I see. Do you mm -hmm. have any strategies for getting the engagement ring buyer back for the wedding band? Like, do you hit them with an email like a year later or something? Or I don't know, what's your, do you have any sort of like tips around that? Yeah, I would say that our wedding band business, we're kind of like a wedding band destination. So a lot of people that didn't even get their engagement rings from us really love our wedding band designs. And we have such a vast collection of very unique kind of um, in, uh, wedding bands. So we definitely, you know, whenever our couple gets engaged, we have you know, kind of like their wedding date saved. So we like to follow up with them and make sure, you know, if they need anything, if they're ready for wedding bands, we definitely will be following up with them. They're 
in our system and they're, you know, whether they're a clear cut couple and submit their engagement story, we kind of know when they're going to get married. So a few months before that, we'll definitely hit them up. But I think um, we have built a name for our wedding bands where, you know, people, like I said, will travel all over the country for an appointment for wedding bands who didn't get their rings from us. A lot of people are getting their wedding bands from us. So I think um, that is a, a category that we've really invested a lot of time and effort in like our product development that has been paying off. I also wanted to ask, uh, I, I was looking around at your website a little bit before the this recording. Um, I saw that you guys very kind of pointedly don't use lab-grown diamonds. Has that strategy been in place from the beginning? Is that something that you've talked about or, or revisited at all? Or is that like a core pillar of the brand that you're not, not a lab-grown diamond company? Ding. This is Danny interrupting the recording after the fact. I just wanted to give you a heads up that in the middle of Olivia's next answer, there's a pretty loud siren in the background that we couldn't really edit out. And if you're driving a car or something, it might be a little confusing to hear it. If you want to skip ahead and just skip the answer, the short of it is that they don't sell lab-grown diamonds and they're not planning to. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, that's something that is a differentiating factor for us, that we're only natural. Um, it goes back to kind of that idea when we started the company. Uh, I always said I wanted to you know, provide my expertise and my opinions for all of our customers, and I wouldn't recommend something that I wouldn't you know, purchase myself. So that's where it all came back to. And it really is because the rise of lab grown was kind of only over the past like year or two really taken off. And we're seeing that the value is just not there. People are spending like 20, 30 K on a lab grown diamond that they won't have any inherent value in that stone. They can't trade it up. They, and we're having a lot of people come back to like upgrade or trade in things like that. And that's not something that you can do with lab grown. So a lot of companies have, you know, seized that opportunity because there's so much money to be made on lab grown. The margins are so high, but I think in long term, um, we want to, I think we're the only, or one of the largest digitally native jewelry companies that are only focused on natural and hopefully we've made the right decision. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of the the other digitally native jewelers that I've seen, they either sell lab grown and mine diamonds or they just do lab grown and that's a big part of their marketing. So you guys definitely are, are stand, stand out for that. Has the supply chain or the sourcing of diamonds become more difficult for you guys at all or, or like as the global supply chain has kind of become more complicated or do you feel pretty insulated from some of those? challenges? The global supply chain um, since COVID um, and the war in Russia definitely is affected. Um, COVID, two of the largest diamond mines, um, one in Canada and Australia closed down due to you know depletion. And obviously we're not working with any Russian diamonds anymore since the war. So um, over COVID and the past year, we have seen natural diamond prices increase, um, but we haven't had you know any issues in terms of supply or getting supply for our clients. Um, but we've seen natural pricing increase while lab grown pricing has decreased. And we'll see what happens in the next uh, couple of years or so. All right. Last thing I want to ask you is um, we've kind of we've touched on this a little bit, but to focus more on marketing for a second, mm -hmm. I know you guys have TikTok, you have your, your various educational kind of um, things that you've been working on. I'm wondering what for you has been the best vehicle for bringing new people in, like people who have never heard of the brand. Is it just kind of the the boring but but effective like you know performance marketing on social media or something, or is there is there some channel that specifically is is doing best for you in terms of getting new people who have never shopped ClearCut before in the door for the first time? 
Um, there are two main channels are definitely going to be like Instagram, TikTok. So like our organic content creation on social media, for sure. We ask every customer, you know, where did you hear about us? And that's most of the time it's Instagram or TikTok. But another huge channel for us, our second largest is going to be that just old school word of mouth. So, you know, you got your ring from somewhere, your friend's going to think about where they're getting, when they're getting engaged. Hey, do you know a guy that can help get me a good ring? And that's kind of like the old school way. And that's how we've gotten a lot just from, you know, having great customer service, having a great product and having that word of mouth is like the strongest um, way to get a loyal client. Yeah. I mean, when I was, again, when I was shopping for a ring, I mentioned to a couple of friends that I was shopping and almost everyone was either like, you should check out this brand or I know a guy in the diamond yeah. district. So <laughs> I visited several guys yes. that like were just, I was connected to. Um, yeah, I think that's really powerful. Um, cool. I think that's everything that I wanted to ask you, but Olivia, this has been so great. Thank you for joining the Classy Podcast. I hope you come back. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you like this episode, subscribe, give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts, and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening to The Glossy Podcast.